This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here, I like every single time, with Maxwell Bogue. How are you doing, Max? I'm good, Joris. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm doing very, very, very well. What do we have and, on uh, today? Well, we have a very special guest, and that's Jürgen von Hohen. And Jürgen is the brand new CEO of Ultimaker. And uh, so he comes uh, from, he, he worked in telecoms, he worked in uh, water processing and uh, lots of industrial roles. And he also worked for Universal Robotics, uh, most recently as a CEO. And now he comes to Ultimaker to take the, uh, the, the Ultimaker to the next uh, stage, if you will. So, uh, yeah, we're very excited to, to have him uh, here today. Thank you very much. I'm uh, glad that you guys could have me on in such short notice. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Delighted. Ultimaker is a great uh, printer. So what are you going to do to make it greater? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm seven weeks in. So, uh, so you've but, changed everything already, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you should probably talk to the staff. They probably say that, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, but I think ultimately what, what if I, you know, coming into the 3D printing world, I'm, I'm completely new. I'm, this is a greenfield for me coming from a, you know, collaborative robots world. And, and so, you know, when I was looking at the opportunity to, to join Ultimaker, I did my own mini due diligence. So... You know, there's a couple things, first of all, that, you know, 3D is just as exciting as, as the collaborative robot or robotics world is um, with lots of growth. But it is much more, let's say, um, commoditized in the sense of the number of competitors playing in it. So that was kind of not something that attracts, attracted me too much, but it did show that there's a level of maturity in the industry. And um, that kind of challenge is interesting. But what I... When I did my due diligence on Ultimaker, there were so many things in the Ultimaker kind of world that I just thought, wow, they're actually, they've got everything they need, all those like basic ingredients to be competitive and differentiated, but on a longer term. And, and so I, that, that really excited me most about Ultimakers. I, you know, I think they have this history of, of delivering, you know, good technology um, but they've got much, much more than that in their ecosystem. So that's kind of what, what got me going. What were the particular things you thought were, were like the, 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 the strengths? What are specifically the things that you thought were these key ingredients? Well, maybe if I start with, you know, first of all, the people, right? Because I do think the fundamental success of every company is, is based on the people you have. And when I did talk to the people, what I found was, you know, the decision-making about what they were doing and why they were doing it really appealed to me because it was about delivering what they thought was the best product or the best solution versus let's just get it out there and hopefully it'll work. Um, so not really superficial, but really understanding the drivers and, you know, like the, the, the customer journey, the user experience. These are things that are really high within the company. So that ease of use discussion um, is, is for me so critical in opening up the market. So people was the first part that really got me excited um, about Ultimaker. I think the other part was when I started looking at, I, I, I really like the ecosystem that has been developed, whether it's around the software on the Cura, but also in the materials, you know, the material alliance with over 50 plus partners already on board, 
all these things are so, so powerful that I think, you know, wow, if we can somehow tie these things together, I think there is really, you know, true sustainable competitive advantage. You know, a lot of people are expecting like kind of a mass die-off in these, uh, in these, uh, in, in the three D printing companies. Is, is that something that's, that that you see as well, or do you think it's going to be as big and as competitive as it's going to go seeing forward, or there's going to be consolidation, which a lot of other people are predicting as well? I don't think three D printing will be different than any other industries that have gone before us, right? So I do think there'll be, you know, with with high growth there's an expectation that there'll be more competitors entering. That's just a natural uh, way. So I do think that that'll happen, but there's just as equally as, as the, the growth kind of flattens, you'll see consolidation. Right. And I think um, whether we like it or not, the, the, you know, the COVID situation over the last year, a year and a half is going to definitely have impact on, on, especially the early stage startups. I think it's been tough. Um, but I do think that, you know, for me, the fundamentals is getting the, of getting, you know, we, we, we always talk about the clear vision of where we want to go. Um, but I think equally important is, is building a business that's successful today, right? So it's not just about the future. And I, and I think, you know, being profitable, cash flow positive, and all those kind of things that we hear about, those are things that are something that I believe, you know, we got to find the balance to make sure we are a healthy business. Uh, equally supporting our long-term goals of growing a business and, and delivering innovative products uh, as well. So I think that balance is something we, we have to get because then I think when we deal with the next, whatever crisis happens, we are well-based and well-bound you know, to normal economic rules rather than um, having to finance our own uh, you know, investments. Rather, I, That's where I want to go is to be able to control our own destiny, basically. Where, where do you see the industry as a whole at, at this point? I mean, if we compare it to the computer industry, the personal computer industry, you know, there was this point, you know, where there were 100, 200 companies in Massachusetts near Route 128, all making their own little personal computers. And then at some point, there was this big die off. Do you think we're past that point And we're more into the, the 90s, so to speak, where they're coming out and they're everywhere? Or do you think we're still in this initial phase of everyone's scrambling to figure out what this technology is and how to apply it and how to make it. <laughs> That's a good uh, analogy. I th you know, I think from, from my perspective, if I look at it, I, I, I do believe in one way, we're still kind of embryonic. We're in this early stage, right? Where people are still playing with the technology, get, trying to get it going. And, 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 and that's a part of the industry that is kind of waking up to the technology, but there's parts of it that are quite mature and looking for, you know, this production environment. So I think that, you know, I think the industry is very, very large. And I think it is this diverse that you have these, this early embryonic stage where people are still kicking the tires and the technology. And then there's other areas where people are investing quite fundamentally into AM and, and, and looking at it for bringing a return, you know, yesterday, basically. Hmm. So I think that's, that's the challenge ultimately from a marketing perspective as well for the companies you need to have critical mass to, to be able to play on all fronts. And I think that's one of the important parts. If you don't have critical mass, it's very hard to address these diverse requirements, needs, um, and, and different levels of maturity in the industry that you're dealing with your end users. So I'm not really answering your question directly, but I think it, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's not, there's not one simple answer to give us an analogy where it says, yeah, we're just like the PC. I don't think it's gonna be like that. I think. This industry is very unique because it's been around for some time, um, but I still think there's areas where you know the case studies 
we still have to prove them out in some areas. And, and, and are you looking, because like traditionally what we've seen, well, in, in, in Ultimaker recently is just going kind of up market towards this pro segment and serving businesses. And then, you know, there you could stay here and be happy. Uh, you could make cheaper printers for more for education and, and consumers, or you could go into manufacturing and become like a workstation kind of printer, or like one, so one printer for the department. What do you kind of see the kind of choices you have to make on that and that kind of like uh, on your lineup, let's say, of products? Yeah, you know, I, th I think one of the things that, that I talked about was this, you know, if, if I look at the DNA of the product strategy for uh, Ultimaker, it's about, I feel, being fundamentally staying true to what we are, and that is delivering a good user experience and and as simple one as possible, right? So ease of use and flexibility, I think, are so so important um, in in the place we play in. And I think we could do that at different points in the, in the market, whether it's in the manufacturing side or in the R and D side, and the innovation side, and the prototyping, whichever application you look at. There there is, and that's what I've learned over my career is that there's different segments we can address with the product. I, what I've learned is not to try and do everything for everybody because that will not work. Mm -hmm. So I guess one of the things that I find a little bit, not, not frustrating, but I think it's, it's kind of hard when you look at the, the 3D printing market to kind of see the segmentation, a, a natural segmentation. So of whether it's a professional segment or a desktop segment versus in manufacturing, but what is the spec behind it? What applications can I enable or not? with these different levels. So quite often when I was doing my initial due diligence, I, I saw this comparisons of very different types of products with different price points being compared, where you would think, hang on a second, that's like a, a factor of 10 different pricing. How can it be in the same comparison? And I think that's one of the things that I, I believe will happen over time is that we will become more articulate in defining the segmentation of the 3D printing market and the requirements from an end user's perspective that, that will help, and I think it will help companies, but also ultimately end users to understand, I need this type of printer to be able to do these applications and, and have that very clearly um, defined. That, that, that kind of clarification, I think, I think we, what we've always done is we've said desktop is anything until, or desktop cheap is anything under 500 bucks. Then we have like a mid market, which is around the 1500 price point. And then we have the pro, which is like 1500 to 3K. And then we have the, uh, the printers above that. But it is like a market segment that goes from $200 to like a million dollars. So it is a bit drawn out, I think. Uh, I think uh, the other strategic responses question is by Stratasys, which Stratasys now, on the one hand, expanding its number of technologies, right? It, they used to be FDM. Now they have FDM and Polyjet. Then they, oh, now they also added SLA, our stereolithography or vat polymerization uh, it, with multiple uh, companies. Uh, and they're also big on sintering because they, they, they have a really large, one of the largest in the world sintering or uh, powder bed fusion services. So we're seeing them expand their, their technology offering right, on the one hand, and filling in their very industry-specific printers. So they have like a printer for, for they're, they're doing application-specific printers. So it's, I think, a very a, a corollary to doing that. I mean, I think, does that, but that then pushes the question on to you and saying like, does that mean that you guys are looking at beyond FDM uh, uh, as a technology? The initial answer I would have for you is, you know, if, if someone is to ask me, how I define or what was the key ingredient to success for growing a company quickly and successfully, the word is focus. 
Mm. And, and so what, what I would argue with is that, again, it comes back to the you know, critical mass. If you have mass and, and you have the capability to do multiple technologies and stay coherent and you know, innovative in multiple technologies, that's, that's fantastic, but it's very, very difficult to do. And I, you, know, you asked me the question, where do I think the market is right now? I think we're still in the early stage of the market. So there's so much to get in if we can stay focused. Mm -hmm. So um, again, I'm not going to answer your question directly, but I, I, I think you know we've got more than enough to go get if we focused on on the uh, FDM or triple F market. Because it's an interesting thing, because a lot of other people are diversifying their technology base, and and but again, I think I think the interesting thing as well is that on the one hand, focus is like a mantra as well: do what you know or stick to what you know, that kind of a thing. But it does mean that you're 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 selling just one system into an available customer, where you could be selling multiple systems into an available customer. Do you think of like like a revenue per customer, a revenue per engagement kind of thing should drive it, or is it just sort just the, the customer satisfaction drive your engagements and the products? You know, so I think the key ingredient is where you can add value the most, right? So it's mm -hmm. it's really about understanding your core capabilities, and 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 I think you know again if if we looked at taking the, um, you know, the, the whole product scope and just looking at the existing customer base that we're addressing today, I think if, if we're scratching more than 5% of the potential, it's a lot, right? So, so I think there's so much more to get where we are. And, and yes, there's absolutely a play for saying, you know, once you have kind of gotten a lot out of the market, then you can actually start moving on to others. But at the same time, if I look at the complexity of really doing your job well in, in a certain market share, that means getting the messaging right in marketing, your sales organization aligned, getting everybody into those things. I think that's step one. And once you've got that kind of going, that engine running, then you can start looking at adding more things on top. So, and I, and I still believe, you know, one thing that's kind of underplayed is the ecosystem that we have available, right? I, I believe that the ecosystem, the power of the ecosystem is so, so strong. It's very difficult to manage and, and, and kind of conduct, but there's so much more we can get out of our current partners if we got them all aligned into going into the same direction. So that's kind of, you know, my focus is getting the engine running, getting the ecosystem and partners all going into the same direction and, and then making sure that that user experience is really positive. And then I think we have the opportunity to start looking at other technologies. I think that's interesting. I mean, the, my favorite obvious thing here is that, that there's a lot of companies that are used to paying like a service or a maintenance fee or kind of a, have an SLA in place. And currently, that's at least uh, the desktop segment, that's, very, uh, that's, 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 that's not the case very often. Right. Often the partner can't give the service or the company or the OEM can't give the service. And, and so expanding a service offering worldwide uh, in some way uh, would really, I think, do a lot to, to boost your revenues. Is that something you're also looking at, like a, a service or a replace or a collect and replace kind of thing? Yeah, and I, and I, exactly right. So I think one of the things you'll see is that, that as, the mar as the market matures, the market has also different, their expectations mature as well. So there will be an expectation that, hey, I, need, I, I want an SLA. I actually want support globally. I, I need this in local language. Um, you know, all those things are part of that process that, you know, as you mature. And I think for, for us to be able to claim more of the market share, it's going to require us to be able to offer a complete solution to customers, right? And that, and, and we are a global company, right? So, so I think from that perspective, we, we've got 
a lot of work to do in building that that complete ecosystem that's that we have today into a really robust one that that is actually very you know open true and transparent also to us right so in getting that all aligned what what do you currently see as the size of the desktop sla market not the whole 3d print market but of the corner of the market that you are focused on um good question it's hard um, to say i understand but like would you have a sense i'm running a report on this i'm really curious yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i think it's it's one of the things i i, I came from a market was which was also very ill-defined right uh, into a new one which is just as badly or even right. worse worsely defined but but i think it came back to that same discussion right so when i was trying to segment the market the only segmentation i've seen so far is either by price or whether it sits on the desk or it doesn't sit on the desk. And it, there's very little that I see that's really um, coherent and aligned across multiple reports. So, that, so that, that's my you know, current starting point. Right. I, I believe you know, we're, we're, we actually see the market um, kind of as gonna be growing around 20 plus percent over the next five years. That's kind of my, my base assumption, 25% growth. And give or take ten percent, what I would say, right? So, right. Um, okay. oh, I like but, that. That's good I like the margin of error there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I think, but I, but I do believe that there's so much that we can influence as a company and other 3D printing companies is in being articulate in the messaging and focus about what this technology can do and giving those users, those first-time users, a good experience. Because the the more we can do that, I think the more we'll grow. And that's why I actually don't mind having competitors because if it was just us trying to market and make everyone aware, then I think we'd be here for many years by ourselves trying to grow the market, but we're not. Yeah. There's t you know, a lot of customer, uh, competitors out there doing it with us, and I think that's good. But I do believe one of the things I would like to try and do is get that segmentation away from pure price point, but bring it to a customer perspective that says, this is the spec that will deliver this for you so that they understand. Because right now, I think they struggle really, you know, just as much as I do when I first came in is, which technology should I be using and why? And it's, it, you know, and if you go into the internet, you find 50 different reasons to do it always the opposite way. Right. I think that's something we should, we, we need to simplify. Otherwise it's going to be very, very difficult. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's easy, you know, FDM makes something good. Uh, resin makes something that can shatter. It is, well, I think one of the reasons it's difficult is that the, the, the costings are unclear. So people don't really understand what a cost per part is in all the technologies. Right. The actual yield is of the system. But but it is true that the, for certain, like for example, I tested certain manufacturing applications where I can use Formlabs printers to make at scale, well, this is a while ago, it was interesting, and to make at scale like hearing aids at the same, in a different way than you would do using a several hundred thousand uh, uh, dollar machine, right? And it was just a different way of manufacturing it. And we had a cluster of 20 systems instead of just one or several big machines. And you can do that. You can also in FDM, you can use a Prusa or you could use an Ultimaker or you could use a larger uh, system all to do, let's say manufacturing with 3D printed parts. And a lot of the cases, if you, uh, they'll put out comparable parts. So it is, it's also like the way in which, you know, these things can compete with each other. It's just a, a lot of times something like what's your maximum part size will really de determine a choice for a particular system. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I, you know, I think, you know, that's, that's my point is right. I, I think I'd be happy 
that the more clarity we can get into it because you know for me i'd rather focus my organization on those sweet spots that we can actually address you know properly versus being going down a path where we know we're probably not the best solution but we only find out you know six months down the road or something right so i think the most important part here is defining those sweet spots defining and it's and you're right nobody's looking to buy a 3d printer actually right and that's the, that's really the true problem is that customers have a problem and and they need a solution and and it happens to be a 3d printer but now we force them to go down this path of trying to understand in detail you know gosh you know this is it and and we kind of stand on the other side saying well here's the product and they're yeah. looking for a solution right and i think that that's the part where i think the maturing will happen over the next years um and where we can play a big role yeah i think i think that's the, the i always say that we're forcing people to to learn italian before they can eat the pizza right <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy only wants i'm hungry i don't care right and we're like right. no we have this pizza but in order to appreciate the pizza you have to learn for design for additive pizza um, no, but, uh, but uh, so, so I totally understand this. Uh, I like the idea of like kind of sticking to your guns in the market as well, because I think uh, the five percent number. I think we're actually lower than that, if we're, depending on what we look at. Uh, but I think I think there is a huge amount of growth just in corporates, just in corporate prototyping, just in making all the corporate designers in the world have a three D printer on their desk. That is a market that everyone kind of forgot about, and then that, that is still uh, underutilized. And then there's tons of companies I think that could be using three D printing that aren't. Um, so I do think there's a lot of growth there. But does that mean because there's like, you could make the boxes cheaper, just push the boxes out there, or you could expand your ecosystem with partners and everybody working on it, or you could do more like application development and consulting to get people to on board. What, what kind of decisions do you want to take there? So, so I take a, a let's say a way more macro view initially, right, okay. to kind of define where is industry going to be going in the next five years or twenty years, right? And if we look at it, there's there's I think it comes down to one word. If you want to be a successful company in, in industry, you're going to have to be flexible. And I think if there's one thing we've learned over the COVID pandemic is, is flexibility is probably one of the most key, key parts of making your business you know, successful in, in, in times where I think volatility is going to go crazy, right? I think we're in that right now. And I always use the same example. My father, who worked for IBM and control data many years, you know, he looked at me, he's retired now, and, he's, and I'd say, you know, boy, it's tough to forecast. And, you know, and he, he would say, yeah, well, you know, back then we made a five-year plan and I hit it every year, right? And I, and I said, well, if I can make a three-month plan and hit it every month, I'd be really happy. Um, but the times have changed. And I think that just shows you the volatility and the number of interdependencies are, are so large that it's very, very difficult to be able to think that you could actually build a production line for, you know, if you go back to automotive for five or 10 years and assume it's going to really not change, it's going to be static for that amount of time, that's gone, right? I, leaving out the robotics world, the last large company, I won't mention the name, they were working on ROIs of, of 18 months as the target for production lines in automotive. So, so if you're not getting your return within two to three years, you're taking a risk in automotive these days. That's, that's a complete change to that world, disruption. Right. So flexibility, I think, is gonna be one of the key, key ingredients. And so coming back to your question, what, where do I think it's important? I think it's offering a customer the comfort that they know that they can multi, you know, repurpose the technology, the capital that they've invested multiple times, get more utilization out of it because we can offer the biggest flexibility of materials, 
support software for whatever requirement they may have that they can't even foresee today. And that I think is where the true added value is. And I think the price point has, you know, that that is less of an issue there if you look at it from that perspective versus while you're, you know, you compare to a $500 printer. And does that mean that like, has Ultimaker always has been like open source or, or open? Uh, do you think that, because Jules, Jules was on the 3D Bolt earlier and he thought that that open was a key facet of that kind of resilience and the, the DNA of the company as well. I, I, and that, that was one of the key points that, that got me very interested as well in Ultimaker is that I think the DNA of, of Ultimaker is open, right? So open source, but you know, I, I think of it in a little bit different way. I think it's like we have this, these layers that we can leverage in our ecosystems and whether it's the materials, the software, the hardware add-ons, I want to cultivate a number of businesses out there that are which we enable to help to support them in creating solutions around, let's say the Ultimaker platform and develop solutions that are either they take to market, we take to market and continue to innovate. And it's this open innovation that I think is, is gonna be critical that we can take advantage of that. If we can take advantage of that, then we will have a, a competitive advantage uh, over others. The, the funny thing about printing is that we have lots of different, I should point out, there's lots of different systems, lots of different prices. They all kind of compete with each other. And then the thing is, the funny thing about our business is that everyone has the same claims, right? They're, they're reliable, <laughs> reliable open source printer, right? And everybody seems to have the same kind of strategy. Right, so everybody has like this ecosystem kind of player. At least everyone in your segment uh, seems to want to do that. Yeah, is that, that is that then a mad scramble for some kind of winner takes all thing, or how do you how do you even execute the best on an uh, on a, like an ecosystem kind of play? I don't even know. You know, there's there's theory, <laughs> then there's reality. Um, I, I think you know the way I look at it is that the ecosystem play is a really really complex play, right? I, I, you know, it's not like the easy thing you do overnight. It it takes time because basically, you know, the way I did it in the past was you really look at your partners as if they're part of you. And I'm not the CEO of Ultimaker. I'm the CEO of an ecosystem of of companies. And so it, it's, it's fundamentally a different mindset and, and there's a lot of investment, but it's also about an open shared model, business model, right? So it's not about us taking all the revenue. It's about everyone mutually benefiting from what we're doing. And, and so, so the complexity is huge. And, and I think that in itself is not a quick one and it's, it, there's an investment involved, but the opportunity is huge if you get it right. And, and so I, I, I believe that because Ultimaker's DNA is already down that path, that's where we came from, this open source. And I can promise you that when I first came in, the first thing that was very clear is that people said, we like open. <laughs> so <laughs> they were very articulate in, in, in making clear that don't change that part. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it's, it's about leveraging these things and getting value always with the mindset of bringing value to the end user. And I think right now we, we have so many communities, uh, resources available that we are not bringing to the end user. It's, it's kind of fragmented today. And I think if we can bring that together and offer it in such a way that's digestible by the end user and the customer, I think there will be a huge advantage for that. When you say words like uh, you know to, 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 to maintain our own future or to, to, to secure our own future kind of thing, that does kind of imply that you're not going to be looking for extra investors. They're not going to like turbocharge growth or that kind of thing, you know? 
kind of seems like you're looking very much to, you know, grow gradually and, and securely, let's say, uh, and maintaining course. But it's meanwhile, a, a, well, yeah, so, so I was going to let me just make it so one at a time. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to interrupt you there because I think if you ask my team right now, I, I think they would say uh, you're, you're understating the turbocharged growth piece, right? Because for me, it's, 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 I don't believe in adding more investment or more, more resources until you've got that engine working. And, mm -hmm. and I, and, and for me, that's execution, right? So, so, we were, we're just now deploying a new management system, which, which really makes sure that every person in Ultimaker understands what their role is in securing our sales targets in 2021. And, and having that clarity in the organization is important because I think the effectivity and, and people want to help, right? So I think, but I, I, I would say turbocharged organic growth is what we're doing right this hyper growth model but it's organic first and then we'll see when we move on if we've been able to deliver what i want us to deliver right and and i think it's based on good benchmarks then i think we can take the next step but throwing more money at something that's not working is not going to be a solution do you have an idea of the markets you're hoping to target or that you think will be your growth targets like arrow or medical or home consumer or what or, or do you not know yet i mean do you a couple weeks in so <laughs> yeah no so, so i think there's there's you know i think again we're you know we we are quite true to the indirect channel so we we most of our you know sales are going through the channel mm -hmm. um we're, we're in the process of getting more better understanding and transparency of, of our end users so the answer is i don't think so but i probably have a gut feel about where we are playing right i do think automotive has been a, an important player i think food and beverage is is a, is, a, is a good one and i think one of the things you i don't know one of you mentioned earlier on was i i also think that we should not get distracted too much by just the large customer base because they tend to have a much louder voice than the small and medium but i think there's a mass market in the small and medium-sized companies out there that is typically hard to address because they're more fragmented, more geographically spread out, but it's equally important uh, and has huge potential, um, especially in this triple S space and with our concept of flexibility and the package we're trying to offer. I think it fits really well. It's a great sweet spot for us in that small, medium-sized company. Right. Yeah, you have these customers that, that complain. So I have a great example, as maybe I shared it before, but I had I was working at a company and then we, we were scaling and I figured out that we would need, if we, we hit our growth target, we would need 200 customer service people. I was like, guys, we're never going to have 200 customer service people. This is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so then I figured out that there was these customers that were really demanding. Right. And they're really pushing us forward. They're like, okay, they're good. And there was normal customers. And I also look and figured out, figured out that there was these people that were getting a disproportionate amount of our revenue that had never, ever come in contact with customer service. I was like, okay, those are fantastic, right? <laughs> and then we, I found out that 20% of our customers were causing 80% of our customer service problems. Right? And 80% of our customer service time is this Pareto thing magically appearing again. So I fired the customers, right? So I, <laughs> so I sent them an email. No, I sent them an email. I said, sorry, we're, sorry we're, we're just not able to meet your exacting standards. I'm very sorry about that. And uh, these are some other things. And then we got rid of them and then we were able to grow much faster. But <laughs> so I thought this was, it's very, it's very funny because like, yeah, I don't know. The, the, there's generally, if we're looking at, at you know, who, who are your customers? It's, it's often, yeah, it's the big names, the people that complain the most or the people that are like, 
you know, the most uh, awe-inspiring or largest companies. But I think it's interesting that, that there is this huge voice. Uh, there is a huge amount of people out there that are just happy with the printer and they'll never talk to you. They'll never talk to you. They're like Adrian 69 on the forums or whatever, but <laughs> you have no idea they'll ever meet them, right? Yep. Uh, yep. And I think there's a silent majority thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> like in politics. I always look at it like this, that, that, you know, there's these channels to in the market that go to these large customers and the large customer channels are like highways. Everybody and their dog is running down these huge, huge roads to the, the big customers because they know that it's a blue chip customer. And once I get in there, I might be able to, but my experience has been over many years that, that they're, they are the most difficult customers too. And mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you don't need them. I, I, I fundamentally think you need to have good blue chip customers because they also force you down a path of getting and stretching you all the time. But if you look at your returns, if you look at um, the noise levels, um, you've got to balance that with, with getting customers on board that, that are you know, also sweet spot customers. And, and I think that balance is also what makes you quite robust as a as a company right so you know because the the buying behavior is also very different in the large and the small medium a lot of the large customers in the in the covid crisis just stopped producing in many places or moved it to other locations small medium didn't have the, the luxury so you know and that's what we saw in 3d printing as well is that people started flexibly changing their production lines to do you know um 3p kind of equipment and and trying to help out things and i think that's that's where we see how the buying behavior is different. Their, their sales cycles are much, much shorter. Um, so, so, yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's definitely another part of the market that's gone untapped or not really has not been in focus so much. Well, what I've also noticed is that everyone's trying to get, like, in our business, it's really easy. There's a couple of people. There's one guy at Volkswagen. Everybody wants to talk to him. Right? <laughs> and and, uh, and there's, like, there's, like, Airbus and there's Boeing. And so, also, you'll find that, you know, you're going to be the seventh guy preaching 3D printing to the same guy at Toyota, right? So he's not going to be impressed, whatever you have to say. But yeah, maybe even like putting more effort into businesses that have never been called or never been uh, approached uh, proactively could, could actually be a, a, an interesting uh, kind of way forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, but does that mean you have to also grow the organization? Is that, is, is that, is that, you're kind of like, if you want to grow the ecosystem, if you want to grow this globally. Do you need more people? Do you need tons more people, right? That's what I'm kind of hearing in the back of my head here. Um, no. So, so I think that's one of the things why, why I'm, I'm always a very big supporter of the channel, right? So indirect channel is exactly the solution for that. Because people, especially the small medium uh, companies, they buy local. And, and they want local support and they want something or if they, if they need something, they want, they want to be able to someone to come by. And, and, and so no company really likes this approach. It's, it's complex. Um, and, and so for me, the answer is, you know, putting our channel and, and embracing our channel and making sure we can deliver the, the end user experience that the customers want. And, and like we just said, if you're a small customer or a medium customer or a large customer, you have different expectations. And, and this is where we need to become also much, much more mature with our channel and also segment the channel in such a way that, they, that we can actually offer that um, you know, solution that's, that's required for each one of those customer segments. So that also means that the, is, is more of your business going to come from software? Or is more? Are you going to be like putting more uh, efforts into things like Ultimaker Essentials and, and Cura and stuff like that? 
Well, I, you know, I think fundamentally, uh, we're not, we're no, in this industry, no different than any other industry, we see software on the rise, right? So I do think we'll see more and more um, kind of application specific solutions coming via the software uh, part. And I think one of the, and that's another area where I think Ultimaker is so, so strong is that it's actually, you know, I'm, I'm used to seeing companies and you do a due diligence and you can, you walk away saying, oh, these guys are hardware heavy and they have a little bit of software. Looking at Ultimaker, I actually think we, we, we're very balanced on both the software and the hardware side. And I think that's kind of, um, you know, unique you know, to have that blend. And, and so when I look at, you know, with Cura Essentials, there's so much potential there. Just if you look at the, the number of users, so we're, we need to leverage more of that, but we also need to offer more. And I do think that the hardware makes up a huge portion of it, but the software can take us so much closer to the applications that are required out there. Yeah. It's, it's almost a truism that at the moment that, you know, there's going to come, you know, the good enough competition is going to come from below and they're going to, um, and they're going to get better and better and the good enough printers are going to like take over market share from below with larger volume, right? That is that something that worries you? It's kind of innovators dilemma or do you think that that's that's exactly why the ecosystem is so valuable because it insulates you against that? Yeah, you know, it, you know, comes back to your point at the beginning about going into different technologies, right? I, I don't think it's necessary, you know, that we have to do everything ourselves. I think we've got to create that orchestra, and and conduct an environment around us that makes sense, right? So that's both from a technological perspective, making sure we stay in, on top on the top when it comes to innovation, and at the core, we're a tech company, right? So and, and we, we are committed to staying at, you know, number one at the top of this technology and we will continue to invest in that. But next to that, if we have an open ecosystem of innovation, then we have the ability to, to participate in other innovations that might even accelerate our technology. And I think, you know, whether it's sensors or whatever third party technologies are out there, we can leverage that for the innovation of, of the core, let's say platform that we have. And I think, you know, for, for me, the importance though, is that having the best tech is not the recipe alone uh, for being successful. So it's just as important, like we just talked about, is the go-to-market. It's the support. Do we, you know, do we have an academy of aware, you know, teaching people, enabling things to happen? If you don't have all those things lined up um, and working, then you may not be successful. So, so I'm, I'm less worried about competitors uh, in the sense of, you know, I'm not looking left and right and worried about them. I'm more worried about us getting our story together. And if I look at the strategic agenda that we have, I feel very confident that we, we, we're actually stronger than, than most people think we are because we, we just haven't communicated it. We haven't marketed it as such. And we haven't really got that red line through all the different, let's say, strategic elements that we have potentially on, on the table. Oh, I think that's really interesting. If you look at like a five-year term, where would you like to be with the Ultimaker in like five years from now? I'm always very big on ambitions, right? So <laughs> do it. Give us the big ambition. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Well, no, but I, but I, Mars, but I Mars. Yeah, yeah. No, no, definitely. Right. I, I, I really believe that we have the potential to be by far the largest player in the, in the triple F segment or FDM segment, right? So I think, you know, in, in, in our capability in this technology, um, we should be number one by far. From a market share perspective. What's the triple, triple S segment? Is that that's just F. your printer? Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, that's FDM. like new. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Triple F is yeah. like new. I think it's like the cool kids. 
Oh no! I, I, maybe I, that's a good idea. Maybe I should uh, find out. Why not? Copyrighting. Copyrighting. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Everybody has their own like a uh, dozen, uh, dozen uh, ways wow. of saying that. Yeah, yeah, but three D printing the, is the worst. I, I'm still trying to learn the acronyms, man. It's like yeah, crazy. Yeah. It's, there are too easy. many to be quite. Oh, but the thing is, there's too many acronyms that mean the same thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. It's, it's, it's really annoying. I think Triple F is a keeper. We should, I'm just going to do it. No, I've always hated the f f f f one. But uh, and then FDM. But so the idea is that you'd be the biggest player in FDM, just generally. Yeah, I mean, that, and, that, and that, that is something that, that I think that market is, you know, like I said, growing between, you know, let's say 25% every year. And, and if we can main, you know, I want to get more market share. So that means we're growing at a faster pace than the market, right? And that's, that's a huge challenge. Um, but I think it's, it's so doable and, and um, it might take us, a, you know, a, a few quarters to get kind of turn the ship a little bit and get it more focused. But I, I fundamentally believe that we have the ability to do that. And, and once we've got that kind of that, that segment kind of captured, I think, you know, for me, we can then also start looking at other things. So generally, I think, uh, I think that's a yeah, really fascinating look at the, the how you're going to, uh, run uh, Ultimaker uh, going forward. Um, I'd like to thank you very much for, for, for being on the 3D pod. Thank you very much for having me. I, I have a random question. Oh, oh, sorry. No, 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 that's all right. You're going to keep 2.85, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yay! <laughs> no, no, I, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 I'm not going to make any... No, any you can't make that promise, I know. I can't no. make any promises or commitments, but uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know thanks why, for joining. why are you a fan of the filament diameter? Me? Because yeah. because I make all my three doodlers use two point eight five. Max invented Max is the inventor of the three D printing pen, and he has the uh, the same filament diameter. Yeah, I still think uh, it's one of the reasons I love Ultimakers. Wait, <laughs> seriously? Yeah, I really do. <laughs> but why did you do two eight five in the first place? Because it's more volume per inch. Yeah. Okay, but so it's four. You know. Whatever, well, whatever yeah, but two point eight five is a standard, whereas like to do it in four, you're also you're increasing the amount of energy you need to pass yeah. the material through. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I never understood that. Okay. You could also make your own thing and then have people only buy your stuff, right? Yeah, but then you could like everyone's always annoyed with that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. But anyway, so thank you so much, Jurgen, for 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 stopping by the three D pod, and uh, Max, thank you so much for being here uh, as well. Always, always. Thank you. And uh, this is another three D pod. Uh, my name is Joris Peels, and uh, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.